We're studying the Sunday night, 2 Timothy, and we're in the first chapter, and we're going to look at verse 6 tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. Uh, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The letter begins, as you remember, by Paul reminding Timothy of all the blessings that are his in Christ. He's reading a personal letter of the Apostle Paul, the greatest man in the world at that time. And he's written a letter of warm affection and wisdom to Timothy. And really, it's a letter from Jesus Christ because Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so the letter really comes from the throne of the universe to Timothy. And then he has more than that. He has grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is still more than that. He is told he has an apostle praying for him in the night and in the day. More than that, he assures him of his love for him, that he's longing to see him. You think of that. And then there's even more. He gives him verbal assurance that he is persuaded, he is convinced that he's a real Christian, that true, genuine, saving faith is there in his life. He thinks I'm a real Christian, Timothy read. And then he tells him of yet another blessing. And that's not just uh, grace, mercy, and peace, not just saving faith, but that he possesses Another grace, and that's my first point tonight. Timothy has a gift from God. Verse 6. He has a charisma, a gift of grace. Not only grace in the general sense now that uh, every Christian here is the recipient of saving grace from God, but he possesses a specific gift to assist him and equip him for the work that God has given Timothy to do in the Christian church. He's been called to be a pastor, preacher, to establish churches and build them up. And in order to do that work, God has to give him charisma. In other words, God gives him the equipment and the aptitude and the endowment and the ability that this particular work demanded. For example, he had to be able to teach the truth, and he had to be able to move a congregation, and guide a church, and inspire a people, and hold the fellowship together. It was not enough then that he had saving grace. That was something that he hadn't worked up that Saving grace, that trust, was a gift from God. But he needed equipment that is the result of sheer vertical grace coming down from God to do a particular work in a church that God called him to do and was enabling him to do. 
Now that's the biblical order, that a Christian must have genuine faith and must have grace and mercy and peace from God. And he must have the written word of God that Timothy had needs to pass on the message to others. All those things are indispensable. And then something else is needed. Every Christian is a new person in Jesus Christ. Every Christian here tonight can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All the things that God asks of me, I'm able to do because I I have strength from Jesus Christ to do it. And every Christian has a charisma from God to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Every one of us who has sincere faith has to reckon with that reality also, that we have a place in a church, that we have a function in a congregation, that we have a role, we have... uh, some responsibilities in the local church and then that really extends because um, our influence extends outside our own congregation here to university, to Kenya, to our friends uh, preparing for the ministry and so on. We can do what others can't do just the way that we can do them. No one else can do what you, because of a a gift of Jesus Christ, what you are able to do. You can reach parts of the body of Christ that others can't reach. And none of us is redundant. None of us is superfluous. None of us is useless. There was once a small boy who went through the open door of his his church, his chapel, and uh, he quietly watched the organ tuner who was tuning the organ. And all the pipes had been taken down from the organ and were laid out on the pews, and they were being vacuumed and cleaned. And finally he picked up the smallest, and then he blew through it, and it made a very sweet noise. He said, could I have this one? It's only a small one. And the organ tuner smiled and and shook his head and said to him in a kindly way, I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. All the pipes are needed because all the pipes are used. And each one of us, it's true for each one of us, we have a place, a part in the body of Jesus Christ. Each of us has a contribution to make to the church and to our own particular congregation. And uh, no one else can make it in the way you make it. Because to every single Christian, not only do we have the indwelling spirit and grace and mercy and peace from God, but there are also charismata, gifts of grace, which makes our... uh, our function in the church meaningful and useful to that congregation. He's given these gifts of grace to us. These charismata, us now, after a place, you, so that we are a a charismatic church. As uh, every gospel church is. 
So Paul moves on now from the real faith that he was in um, Lois and Eunice and now is in Timothy 2. Timothy has a a desire to work for God and uh, an enabling and an energy that comes to him from God to go on working in his local church. And that's essential. You remember the warning that uh, we find in James, the beginning of chapter 4, I think it is, where he warns uh, his readers uh, uh, not to be many, many teachers, not to have an itch always to be up and, and speaking and teaching others, because we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, how then can we Think of becoming preachers. Well, we can because there's an enabling given to us. Our strength, our wisdom, a divine energy, a Christ-likeness given to us. So, let me say now briefly ten things about spiritual gifts. Firstly, God will determine which Christian is going to receive any combination of gifts. God determines that. If you learn anything from the passage that I read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we learn God bestows them. They're not earned, they're not worked up, they're not merited, they're freely given to us by God. He makes the choice of the gift and the recipient, and he joins them together. And Sometimes we are so surprised at the, the coming together, the nature of the gift and the person. I once said to Graham Heaps, to my shame, uh, when he was a student and uh, uh, he was going off to Dewsbury to church plant. And I said to him, I, I don't know if you've got church planting gifts. Actually, he told him that. And he said, no, I don't know if I have them too. You know, he's such a mild and meek and humble man. Well, Graham's, I think he's, this is the third church now that they have planted there. The combination of church planting and Graham heaps, the gift and the person. God determined it. Secondly, no Christian can give a spiritual gift to anyone else. Now, it was different in apostolic times. The apostles, they could go to Samaria and they could lay their hands on the believers there and they they would have gifts. They could speak in unknown languages, for example. Paul could lay his hands on Timothy at his ordination and he would know by the apostolic hands on him an ability then that he'd not had hitherto to this degree to preach with authority and application the word of God. It was rare in New Testament times, Paul could say, oh, I, I would that you all have certain gifts, the best gifts. Paul doesn't say, receive it. And they all sweep backwards and fall to the ground. Lord Jones says, it is the Spirit alone who decides which gifts to give. And it is the Spirit alone 
who can give the gift. And if you start trying to interfere, you come near to sinning in a very serious manner against the Holy Spirit himself. Holy Spirit gives the gifts. We spectate. We see people raised up and working in, in a church in all different functions. Thirdly, no Christian is permitted to claim one gift for himself or to claim it for others. A preacher can't pass on his pulpit and his religious empire to his son simply because he's the boy's father. He may have better gifts than his father. However, he may not. And this follows on from the first two points You can say you are naming it and claiming it until you are blue in the face. You can claim the gift of evangelism that George Whitfield had. And there are thousands of people who claim to be another Whitfield, but they've not been another Whitfield at all. You and I must never do anything in any way to produce a gift in ourselves or a gift in anyone else. We can desire it, We can say, Lord, is this your will for me? And if it is, give give me the aptitude and the strength to do that. But the gifts come from the sovereign spirit. They don't come from man or the will of the flesh. Fourthly, no Christian lacks gifts of the spirit. Not one. When... um, he speaks to the Corinthians, Paul says, we, he stands in solidarity with them, he puts his arms around that entire congregation in Corinth, and he says, we have different gifts, according to the grace given to us. We have them. We have them. We have them. Tonight, every Christian has many gifts. And just what an extraordinary range of spiritual gifts there are in ministering to others and in receiving ministry from others. Gifts. Help us there. Gifts like showing kindness and praying and stewardship, giving money and listening and counseling. And defending the truth, and serving, and supporting, and exhorting, and speaking, and never stopping, all through one's life. We all possess gifts like those, in various combinations, all of us. Not having gifts is never the problem. It is using and maturing the gifts we have. It's there that we are found wanting. And we mustn't be self-conscious about our gifts. In other words, you must sort of look inside yourself and say, you know, what gifts do I have? Providence will lead you. Providence will guide you in a situation, in in a church. In other words, you will be suddenly facing responsibilities and demands and duties and work 
in the relationships in which God places you. You will have challenges and they don't go away. And requests. And they come to you. And you are asked to do things. And then God will gift you for the work. It's an insult to God, to the Holy Spirit, to say, no, no, I can't do that. If um, a congregation determines you, you can do the work and wants you to do the work because they believe the Holy Spirit enables you to do that work. So Philip, he started off as a deacon, didn't he? And he was a good deacon. And then God said, okay, go and preach. And so off he went to Samaria. And the whole city was stirred by his preaching. I started in, I suppose, the Christian Union in Cardiff University 55 years ago. And there I, you know, I prayed and led meetings and do what Christian students do. And then I moved on. I, I went as God led me and then became a pastor. The fifth point, no Christian has all the gifts. Only the Holy Spirit has all the gifts. We're creatures, he's the creator. There's a creature-creator distinction. And that's established by God. There's a great gulf fixed between the two. And no man has ever crossed that. No man becomes God. No man becomes the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit gives to some men in absolute breathtaking abundance. Luther. Jonathan Edwards. Bunyan. Hodge Spurgeon. Lloyd-Jones. Sinclair Ferguson. He could teach History, languages, New Testament theology, Old Testament theology, systematic theology. Joel Beakey said to Joel Beakey, I get tired just looking at you and all that you are able to do. Extraordinary men with an abundance of grace, but they're not God. I'm just saying the Spirit is not miserly with his gifts. Many gifts. No one is without them. And we have different combinations that he gives for the challenges of, of our lives. Six. Every Christian has different gifts. Church is like a body. And so there's liver and lungs and toenails and ears and strange unmentionable parts of our bodies. And then there's a face and eyes Things that are beautiful. And the body needs every single part. And we appreciate that in a congregation. Don't we? There's an old nursery rhyme about uh, how different people like their tea brewed. Some like it hot, some like it cold, some like it in the pot nine days old, we're told. And we are given different gifts then to minister to one another and receive ministry. Let me tell you what I often tell you, which when I saw it, when I was told it, it was a great help to me, the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. All right, you know this, yeah, others don't. 
be patient for 10 seconds. The gifts of the Spirit are what make us different from one another. And so we read tonight that series of staccato questions that come towards the end of 1 Corinthians 12. Are all apostles? What's the answer? Of course not. Are all prophets? Answer again is no. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. So the gifts are the things that make us different from one another. The fruit of the Spirit is what makes us the same as one another. All right. The Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, and the greatest course is love. That's in uh, the prominent place there in that uh, definition. And by this, the world knows that Jesus Christ dwells in us. By our love. We show the world that we are his disciples and we love one another as he loved us. Seventhly, every Christian's gifts are given for the advantage and the blessing of the church. You know, to adorn you or to add honor and fame to your name but to exalt the name of Jesus Christ by supporting and strengthening then the, the, the church. They are the textures that just weave through a congregation. Gifts are called exciting only by the immature. Gifts are just a fearful responsibility. We, we can never set them aside. We have a stewardship, a solemn stewardship to exercise our gifts, to, to help needy people of God and, and never stop. While life and thought and being last or immortality endures, never to stop. And sometimes we are weary in serving our local church. Like Whitfield at the end of his life, I, I, he said, I'm not weary of the work, but I'm weary in the work. And then he was persuaded to come out on the veranda and preach to a huge crowd that wanted to hear him yet again. And then we have to ask God, like he did at that moment, refresh me now and help me and revive me. So you have to think of the body before you make any decision yourself about uh, stopping exercising your gifts. You've got to think, well, if I just escape now and become a passenger what impact will that be on the church if I leave or just cut down on my involvement and my work in the church what, what's going to happen to the congregation I heard of a ship that went down and there was a group of people in a lifeboat and the waves were breaking over it. And the lifeboat was filling with water. And there weren't enough ladles or buckets to empty. And they were in real trouble. 
And one of the passengers got the idea that if he bored a hole under his seat, the water would drain out. And he suggested it. He proposed it to the other people in the boat. Oh, no, they all shouted. Don't even think of it. And he got very sniffy. He said, well, it's not your business anyway. Uh, I was only going to bore the hole under my seat. You see the folly of this man thinking that he could make a decision that would not affect everyone else. And so how we use our our stewardship of our gifts, that's going to affect uh, um, other people then. Because they've been given to us for the church. Eighth, every Christian is given the gifts he needs for the work God is calling him to, either on the front line or... um, Staying at home, you know, the, the picture with David's army and how some um, kept back and guarded the stuff, kept with the stuff. And then others went and were in the front line of fighting the Philistines. I remember a man and he's, uh, he'd always pray for those guarding the stuff. Others were out on the beach um, speaking in the open air, on the doors. Uh, He prayed for them, and then he always would remember those guarding the stuff. Well, um, Keith had a range of friends, Keith Underhill, here uh, 50 years ago when he was a student, and they were loyal to him. Only he was called to be a missionary in Kenya. But they given and given and prayed and prayed for him and write to him and support him. The gifts. They have those gifts and he has other gifts. Nine. A Christian's effective use of his gifts depends on a growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The instructions on how we Christians are to behave comes to us from our head. Say you put your hand on the stove and not realize that it's been on and um, there's a message to the head that says this is hot and the message comes back, well, take your hand from it and you do it straight away. A muscle doesn't act on its own. It waits for orders from the head. And God is perfectly designed the body to tell us about the church of Jesus Christ. We, all the time we say, Lord, now you, you guide us. Lord, you help us. Lord, you open this door. Lord, you stop this. Lord, you open this way for me to go. Yeah. So we are to keep in close fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And tenthly, uh, a Christian's gifts are to be developed. Because true gifts of the Spirit mature. We grow wiser. We grow more patient and more loving. Uh, We preach better. We pray with more spirituality. We grow in graciousness as we go on in the Christian life. Sanctification is effectual in all the elect. And so we stir up the gifts that we have. And that's where uh, then... What's called today speaking in tongues is a total failure. But there's no maturation. No one says, remember when Johnny first spoke in tongues and it was a bit immature, wasn't it? But now when he speaks of the glories 
of Christ and the kingdom of God. He brings such theological brilliance and uh, such evangelistic wisdom when he exercises that gift. They don't say that. They don't say that. There's nothing like that at all. So, that was my first point. Timothy had a gift from God and you have gifts from God too. My second point is this. Our gifts from God need to be fanned into a flame. The grammar is quite significant here. Um, Hitherto, it's been indicatives. Remember now, English grammar. GCSEs, okay? Wind up your brain now, the indicative. The indicatives tell us what's been done, what God has accomplished, what God has given to Timothy and to ourselves. And then we have the imperative. And this is the first imperative. The imperative is a command. This is the first imperative in this letter. Um, what Timothy must do. And there are many more to come. Even in the first chapter, there are a number. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord Jesus Christ. Join me in suffering for the gospel. Keep what you've heard from me. Guard the good deposit with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's just uh, imperatives, commandments. Many of them right through this letter I'm saying it's very significant the very first commandment that Paul gives to Timothy was this one fan into flame the gift of God that's in you so what do we infer from that well there's a danger that we may possess the gift And yet we may allow the gift to languish and grow cold and wither like a fire that's been neglected and you come back and you wonder, is it alive? And you you put a blower up and paper around it and you put the bellows and you try to get, is there some little spark? Is there something there that will get those coals glowing again? A gift can languish. A gift can atrophy. It may be close to extinction. There was a time when there were dinosaurs in the world. Huge beasts. No one bigger. No one to challenge them at all. You'd think they'd last forever. They'd be the king beasts. But they became extinct. They vanished from the earth. And all that we have for them is fossils. You look at the New Testament. And you think, boy, look at Acts. Read the letters. The gospel is filling the world. Soon all the world is going to hear about Jesus Christ. And then comes the second century. The second century and there's decline. And uh, Ignatius and others. Error comes in. Because the heart of man is is deceitful. Error comes in uh, straight away. They start to lose the gospel. And lose their fervor for Christ. And so Paul looked at Timothy, and Paul was concerned about Timothy. However privileged his background and his experiences and his friends, there was a danger. Timothy's gifts were growing cold. And that applies to every Christian. So, I am asking you, are the skids under some of you or me? And we've known men. Well, we admired them. We looked up to them. When we were young, we thought they were the bee's knees. 
We thought we could never achieve anything like those men. You never hear a thing about them today. Not a thing. And so we have to take uh, action, imminent action, to make sure that the charismata that, that we have, don't, that they don't languish to the point of extinction. You're aware of this reality, aren't you? That uh, the saving grace of God in our lives, his salvation, it, it can't be withdrawn from us. Thank God for that. Jesus Christ has bought the perseverance of the saints by his agony and bloody sweat. We can't lose that. We shall persevere to the end. But there's no reason to be complacent about our spiritual gifts. Gifts that we receive from God. That they may wither. And they may become extinct. And we be useless where once we were steadfast and abounding in the work of the Lord. We may become irrelevant. We may find our usefulness in a congregation going. You think of some of the judges. Don't you see that? The last years of Gideon and others. Look at David's last years. Look at King Saul. And he started off, you know, head and shoulders above anybody else, literally, in the land. Think of Demas. You think of the congregation in Laodicea. Think of the decline that took place in the denominations in Wales at the beginning of the 20th century. And uh, how they swallowed unbelief, modernistic unbelief that came from Germany. And they were, Germany, wow, they believe it there. They were the, the kingpins in those days. It wasn't an academic defeat. It wasn't an intellectual defeat that destroyed the gospel in Wales. It was a failure to fan into a flame zeal and devotion to the Bible and love and understanding and knowledge and wisdom. And so a colossal nationwide declension took place. It could happen to me. It could happen to you. Our gifts can become extinct. How? How can our gifts become distinct? I'll give you three ways. Firstly, we can despise the gifts of God. He warns Christians in the Thessalonian church, you remember, not to despise prophesying. There were times in the uh, New Testament church when a man would get up and he would ramble and he would bore and he would say this and he'd be excited and he'd say nothing at all. And people then sort of, oh, they hated that time in the service when they'd be preaching, prophesying, like that. They started to despise the time. And there's no reason why with other gifts that it's just the same. Uh, 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 when a pastor is preaching or when a brother is praying, when there are clumsy attempts that we have to do good, when leaders become over-harsh or over-indulgent, and when weakness and ego is mixed with the things that, that we do as, as Christians. And contempt comes into our hearts. 
And so as a result then, people stop exercising their gifts. They stop praying. You don't hear them pray. They stop prophesying. They stop exercising the gift of hospitality. Because they've become so critical of other people in the, the congregation. And we're despising them. Now you know the students have planned a carol service in the football field. And they've invited local dignitaries and the town band to accompany the singing. And the local school is going to provide a choir to sing a hymn. And there'll be a tent there for um, churches to talk about what they do and so on. You know, you can say, well, oh, what about this and what about that? It, it's so easy to dismiss all of that and point out the flaws. What a mistake. What a sad mistake that would be. You can be uneasy in the presence of any kind of leadership or preaching that's searching or applicatory or discriminatory. And there are new paths being opened up. Look, consider the do you understand the grace of God and what the do you understand how salvation comes to us and, and what it is? And people can dig their heels in. Well, we never heard it like that. It was never said like that in my church or in this pulpit before. And so they turn a deaf ear. They despise. They despise what they are hearing and their gifts then. They withdraw and they languish and they die. So that's one way in which then our gifts will fail and why we need to fan them into a flame. And secondly, we can quench the spirit. That's the exhortation to the Ephesians, isn't it? Do not quench the spirit, he says. So here's a, a certain aptitude and a certain vocation and it's very challenging. You I was a student and ah, he was fluent French speaking and he'd been to France for a year and he was such a godly boy and he led the Christian Union I was just you know encouraging him and praying that uh, they say there are 40,000 towns in France that have no gospel testimony at all it's a huge mission field isn't it? That vast country. It meant such a disruption in his life and his girlfriend and his wife really. They weren't interested. They weren't going to be supportive of him in that work. And he was intimidated. He never went. He never went. The gift was extinguished. He quenched the spirit. He put a pillow over the mouth of that gift and he suffocated it. You can do it. And thirdly, we can neglect the gift. In the first letter to Timothy, that's the phrase he uses. He, Paul urges him not to neglect the, the spirit that was in him. 
You see the challenge of that, that a gift that uh, God has given us, we can think, oh well, the gift will look after itself. We can think like that. We'd never think that if, if we had a potted plant and we never watered it and we never followed the instructions or put it in a draft-free and a warm place in the house. Uh, if we neglected it, we shouldn't be surprised if it starts to die. And so with the gifts that God gives us, they're not self-perpetuating. If we don't look after our gifts, if we don't exercise them, if we don't care for them, if we don't nourish them, we don't feed them and train them and discipline them. They're going to die. I know a grandson and, oh, he pleaded for a dog. All the time he pleaded for a dog. But you know what would happen once he had the dog? He wouldn't bother with it. It would be his mother on a, on a wet day. He would have to take the dog out for a walk and the dog to do his business. She would be. He, after the initial excitement, she would be the one who'd have to look after it. And the dog then would, would become restless because it was clamoring for attention. And it was wild and, and useless. The gifts are like that. They need cultivation and attention. So I'm saying to you, those are three reasons in the Bible I find them for um, the way in which a gift of God can be extinguished. And that was a danger that Timothy was facing. And that's why Paul, the first thing Paul says to him, use the bellows now. You use the bellows. You get the, the, the heat is going. Is there a flame still there? Give some oxygen to it so that the flame can be used and brighten up the, the home and warm the home. Thirdly, how we can fan our gifts into a flame. All right, my last point. How we can fan our gifts into a flame. You want to be more useful in your Christian life, don't you? You want to be more useful in, in the church in the future. You don't want to be a parasite. Well, what actions are you going to take now? How you can fan the gift that God has given you. He's given you lots of gifts how uh, you can fan the gifts into a flame. What does that involve? Well, firstly, you must take heed to yourself. It's basic, isn't it? It's there several times in the scriptures. Not so much now to your gifts. I'm not talking about those now, but yourself. You, the real you. What you are. Your soul. Your spirit, the quality of your personal life, the temperature of your devotion to God, the closeness of your walk with God. It may be that we become a passenger in the church. And it's not because of absence of gifts, but because there's a deterioration of your character, of your, of your souls. It's a calamitous thing to think, well, I've got a, um, I've got a gift um, from God. I can take my soul for granted then. I can be less than vigilant about my spiritual condition. 
It's, it's part of the tragedy that there are men with just, who coruscate with just marvelous, flashy, powerful, helpful gifts. And those gifts support them. The gifts support them. The gifts sustain them. The gifts just take them through life. And there are secret sins that those men have that debilitate them and weaken them. But they're hidden behind uh, the great, powerful, arm-waving gifts that, that they have. And yet, in their souls, there's no vitality. In their souls, the integrity is gone. And what is keeping the man alive is the brilliance of the gifts. And so the invitations to go to America to speak, and the gifts to go to Australia to speak, and the pamphlets and the books and the name guaranteed to fill a, a, a building if he goes to speak anywhere. That keeps him going. But the horrible problem that he is hiding, the weakness of his soul, the secret sins, the defiance of God in one area of his life, that goes on. So, um, you can't neglect what Paul says to Timothy. He's saying to all of us, take heed to yourself. To yourself. And it applies to every gifted man in the church. You can't afford to neglect soul. You can't afford to neglect elementary duties. That is to read scripture and think about what you're reading and, and pray and sit with other Christian men and women and listen to what they say to one another and join in and make contributions to them about God's dealings with them. Um, because if you fail there, you're going to be marginalized more and more, and you'll become redundant, and you'll become a parasite in the church. And your gifts will wither. And you won't be a part of the resources that the church can call on for help. You become a liability to the body of Christ. And the elders have to have a meeting about you. And they have to talk about the problem that you are. And you will cease to be a blessing to the church. You will, you will cause a division because you're not taking heed to yourself. And secondly, you must nourish and train the gift that you have. You've got to make special provision for it. You've got to be conscious that, that you have a responsibility now for God. The problem is this, you see. It's so tempting to concentrate on what we imagine to be our points of weakness in the Christian life. A man may be a fine teacher, and yet he may be lacking in some other qualities. He may feel academically he's not up to what he should be, and so he takes an open university course, or he studies, and uh, he does a correspondence course with one of the theological colleges, and he spends a lot of time studying and, and reading and so on. Uh, because, he says, I can afford to neglect my strengths. That's what he says to himself. I've got that. I've got the ability to teach and to speak. But these other areas of my life, no, I have to give myself to. You can't afford to neglect your strengths. Lee Halfpenny is the brilliant kicker. 
for the Welsh rugby team. He can't afford to stop training for a day, going around with the ball at different corners and back. His accuracy, it depends on constant training. Daniel Barenboim is the most beloved concert pianist. He has to practice every day. He has to do hours at, at the keyboard. They don't take their gifts. They don't take their strengths for granted. And it may be in, in this area, in the area of your strength, the devil is going to come in. Where you are strong, he'll come and he'll attack you. If he attacks head on, face to face with Jesus, you think he's going to be afraid of coming to you with the brilliance of your gifts. So Timothy was a teacher, Paul says, Give attention to reading. To reading? I read all the time. (laughs) Timothy says to him, teaching is what I do best. You don't have to worry about my teaching. Paul says, don't neglect. That area in your life where you are strongest, strengthen the gift, nourish it, cherish it, provide for it, develop it. Build it up in every possible way. Make the flame brighter. Make the heat hotter. And that's, you know, whatever our gifts are, whatever they are. If it's ruling and developing our, our management skills, our personal relationships, our counseling. Maybe our gifts are serving. Maybe our gifts are giving hospitality or showing compassion to people. And we, we can't take it for granted. And we say, well, I've, I've always been strong there. I don't take it for granted educate it, make it stronger. It's our particular vocation. Nourish and train the gift. And then, thirdly and, and, and briefly, keep on exercising it. That's the way you, you found the flame. You keep on exercising it. So, obviously, we shall see that this is true, that Timothy was under great pressure to discontinue and to abdicate. He was under that pressure. And Paul knew about that. So he speaks solemnly to him and he says, Fan the flame of that gift. So when I put my hands on you, you received then of ministry. See that it shines brighter and brighter. Stir it into new life. Exercise the gift that you have. And you know that, don't you? A man is a personal trainer. And he goes into the fitness center and the personal trainer looks at him and he says to him, oh, a bit puny your arms are. So what does he do? Let's concentrate on your legs. He doesn't say that. Does he say, I'll make a sling for your left arm. Don't use it at all this week because it's puny and then next week I'll put a sling on your right arm. He doesn't say that. He develops a, a system, a regimen of exercising so that he can then do all these things to strengthen his muscles. The same with gifts. They're exercised in their use. As we use them, as we write, as we speak, as we pray, as we talk, as we bear other people's burdens. So we become stronger with our gifts. So let's exercise the charisma that God has given us. You know, Paul says to Timothy, uh, later on, he says, give yourself wholly to them. Wholly consecrate yourself to the work of following the Lord. 
Now, we're not all called to what we say is full-time Christian service like Keith did in Kenya. But um, our role in the, in the Church of Christ is a matter of concern. It deserves priority. Paul tells Timothy here, dedicate yourself to what you're doing with your strength and your intellect. And the experience you've gained and the blessings you've had that you've inherited from your mother and your grandmother and our friendship. and Put everything you have at the exercise of this charisma. Strengthen the church, all of you. I urge you, do what you can to make this a stronger, happier, more Christ-like, more like the body of, of Jesus Christ. It may be through the fact that we are an imperfect congregation and badly organized and disordered that we find ourselves without a role, that we are ignored and left out. And if that is the so, then the responsibility lies with the church, and it's a heavy responsibility, of course. But uh, those of you who have gifts and you're asked to Exercise them now. Come on, here's opportunities for you. But please, use them. Give yourself to them. Give your heart and soul to it. Stir the gift up. Fan the flame. That's what you're to do. Are you doing it? Are you stirring it into new life? Are you brighter and warmer than you were a year ago and ten years ago? Here's a command, okay? The imperative. We've had the indicatives of all the blessings we have. But here's the first imperative in this letter. It's a much an imperative as any of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt fan the flame of the gift that God has given you. Lord, bless your word to us now and uh, instruct us. You have a message for each of us, for me and the elders and the deacons and the Christians who have been Christians for 50 years and for the new Christians who have been Christians for 50 days or 50 hours and you've gifted them and through your providence show them how those gifts can be used for the maturing of us all the betterment, the better service of Jesus Christ and a dying town. Lord, hear our prayers, which we bring in Jesus' name. Amen.